We're putting the Buffalo Bills cornerback position under the microscope as we continue our performance review series today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, or if you're on YouTube, your first watch every day. As a friendly reminder, Locked On Bills is free and available on all platforms. I'm excited for today's discussion, talking about these Buffalo Bills cornerbacks and There's a lot to get into with Trey White coming off of the injury, a couple of very important expiring contracts, some intriguing depth pieces, and there's just a lot to to discuss here. This is potentially a major um, need for the Bills entering this offseason, depending on who is back and who is not. So let's get started with it. The first player we will talk about is CB1, Trey White. A 2017 first-round pick, number 26 overall in that draft. Excuse me, number 27 overall in that draft. He's 27 years old. He just turned 27 back in January, so he turns 28 in January of 2023. He's entering year one of his four-year, $69 million contract extension. In 2021, he played in 11 games with 11 starts, 41 tackles, Six pass breakups, one interception, a passer rating against his coverage of only 61.4, and a missed tackle rate of 18.8. And um, man, I missed watching him play football down the stretch. Such a good player. And obviously, there was an impact there when he left. And it, it just was, it was not as fun watching the Bills defense without Trey White. So as for his 2021 review, I mean, he was terrific for 11 games. A legitimate CB1 in the NFL. And he's a critical piece of this defense. And there's plenty of criticism right now as we reflect on the defense for the Buffalo Bills last year that was statistically unbelievable. But there's a lot of criticism about how the Bills' defense didn't show up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Well, that's an interesting contrast to the first time that the Bills played the Chiefs, where the Bills' defense did show up, and Trey White was on the field. And I think we can contrast those two games with and without Trey White against Kansas City, both at Arrowhead Stadium, and understand just how important Trey White is to this defense. Trey White's absence was notable. And again, like I said, I heard a lot about how the Bills' defense was overrated this year because of the Chiefs and the Bucks games. I'd like to see what those games look like with a healthy Trey White. When Trey White is on the field, the Bills can play defense differently and space the field differently. He changes the math when it comes to the Bills' coverage 
spacing. They are willing to let him play man coverage and zone up the rest of the field. And when you can have one player that can do that and you can use your other six players that you have in pass coverage to space the rest of the field, you have even less in terms of available space and access for quarterbacks to throw the football. And when you don't have Trey White, all of a sudden you don't have that benefit and you have to play a lot more straight-up coverage. We'll get to Dane Jackson here in a minute, and he did a good job filling in. But this defense missed Trey White. And so as you reflect back on this defense and the Bucs game and this, the Chiefs game in the playoffs stand out to you, I would remind you that those were the two games where Trey White and his presence on the field would have made a notable impact. Again, contrast week six against Kansas City to the playoff game against Kansas City. And I know that the Chiefs had a lot of things different back in week six, but not really on, on offense. Not really on offense. So as for my 2022 outlook for Trey White, I have written down, come back soon. We know that he's coming off of this ACL tear, which is a 9- to 12-month recovery, and he had surgery in December. So if you figure out what nine months from December is, that's going to get you to August. So August would be the earliest that we can expect Trey White to be back. And we've heard Sean McDermott talk about how Trey White has been in the building and rehabbing and working really, really hard. I'm sure he is. But as for when Trey White is cleared for full football activities, I mean, there's a comfort level that he will need to establish planting and driving off of that leg. The good news is that guys come back from ACL tears all the time, but you just never know. We've talked about it with other players where they have an ACL tear and it feels like they need a season to find themselves. I think about Harrison Phillips. I think about Trent Murphy. So unfortunately, the timing here with this ACL tear is not ideal, and the Bills have football games to play right when Trey White's going to be cleared. But my prediction is that the Bills will take a very cautious approach with Trey White. I'm expecting him to start the year on the pup list and not count against the roster, and they're not going to push him into this lineup until he's absolutely ready to go. It's funny, I was scrolling the timeline on Tuesday, and I saw Cleveland Browns analysts and Baltimore Ravens analysts talk about the issues that their teams had managing the injuries and how they felt like a lot of players were rushed back, and it wound up costing them a lot more time. Well, we can't relate to that. And sometimes I feel like there's a frustration level that exists because the Bills are cautious with injuries. But when guys come back, they're ready to come back and they don't jeopardize their availability the rest of the way, like we saw from a number of teams this year with the Browns and Ravens certainly being high on that list. Let's move on to Levi Wallace, a 20, uh, 2018 undrafted free agent. He's 26 years old. He turns 27 in June. His contract, it's expired. He completed his one-year, $1.7 million deal. And so the big question here 
with Levi Wallace is what type of market is he going to have? There's two different projections in terms of his salary or expected contract that he's going to get that I want to share with you, and they're very different. Pro Football Focus estimates Levi Wallace will sign a three-year, $19 million deal, and SpotRack has Levi Wallace at a three-year, $28 million projection. Those are very different average annual values. As far as his 2021 statistical output, Levi Wallace played in 17 games with 17 starts. He had 58 tackles, 10 pass breakups, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 86.8 against his coverage. And he had a missed tackle rate of 13.2%. And that's a higher missed tackle rate for Levi Wallace. Typically, he's been a much more secure tackler. So as for my 2021 review with Levi Wallace, I have written down that he had a good year and probably his best year as a pro. And he did a good job of positioning himself well for a payday. And I'm guessing that money is is going to be a top priority for him in this next contract. We're talking about a guy that was a walk-on at Alabama, a UDFA, in the NFL, has been a starter for the last three and a half years on a really good pass defense. This is kind of his big chance in his career to strike while the iron is hot and sign a lucrative contract extension. And to be quite honest, he's earned that. What this guy has accomplished in three and a half seasons is pretty doggone impressive, regardless of his limitations, which we all know about. He's been a good starter in the NFL, and he's at 26 years old. This guy's going to want to make some money. thought he had his best year in coverage, but probably his worst year as a tackler. And one thing that I was pretty surprised with defensively for the Bills this year is to see them run as much man coverage as they did, especially on third downs with Wallace on the field, but he mostly held his own. So as for my 2022 outlook with Levi Wallace, I mean, I have written down that it might be time to move on if the valuation of the contract is off when it comes to what the Bills believe he's worth and what Trey, or excuse me, what Levi Wallace thinks he's worth. If he's going to take the PFF projection, I think that's digestible. If he wants three years, 19 million, I think that's a deal the Bills should consider giving to him especially with Trey White's status for the beginning of the season in doubt. Now, if this is SpotRack's projection, three years, $28 million, that's going to be a pass for me. And here's the thing about the Bills' secondary. They are literally paying everyone. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Trey White, Taron Johnson. There has to be one economic option in there to balance things out. So I appreciate Levi Wallace as a player. I appreciate his story. I'd like to have him back. But this really just simply comes down to his market and what he's able to get on the open market versus what the Bills are willing to pay him. And then also factoring in that, I think Levi Wallace likes playing for the Bills. And I think he does have an understanding that he's most valuable to a defense like the Bills in terms of how they play 
and having the safeties that they do. There would be some some buyer beware for me if I was a team looking to sign Levi Wallace in free agency and giving him a $10 million average annual value salary. Because I don't think he's a universal scheme fit. And so there's a lot of interesting layers here, and I'm completely fascinated to see what Levi Wallace is able to sign for this offseason. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC, and they've even got Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action because BetOnline is where the game starts. The next player we're going to get to is Dane Jackson, a 2020 seventh-round pick, number 239 overall. 25 years old, he turns 26 in November, and he's entering year two of a two-year $1.7 million deal. And after this season, his contract is up, but he'll be a restricted free agent. In 2021, he played in 17 games, six starts, and 41 tackles, six pass breakups, did not have an interception, had an 81.1 passer rating against his coverage, and a missed tackle rate of 8%. That's a pretty good missed tackle rate. I'm looking for defensive players to be under 10%, and um, Dane Jackson was able to get that done this year. So for my 2021 review, I think it's pretty straightforward. He did a great job filling in for Trey White. Did not give up a touchdown pass all season, including the playoffs. He played the run extremely well. And he proved that he can be a reliable depth piece and a spot starter. Him stepping up was big for this team. Now, he doesn't change the math like Trey White does, like we talked about a few minutes ago. But Dane Jackson proved that he can be a reasonable backup and actually quality depth. So as for my 2022 outlook, I have written down that he needs to continue providing reliable depth, and there's a decent chance that he starts some games next year, especially early in the season. And so as he develops as a player, I think it just comes back to he has to continue developing his feel for pattern recognition and anticipating routes and coverage spacing, stuff that will come with time on task. But there are times where he can get a little bit guessy with uh, how he responds to routes. And I think just kind of stabilizing that pattern recognition ability and overall coverage spacing will allow him to take his game to the next level. Because right now, he might be the Bills' best run-defending cornerback. To me, everything that, that Dane Jackson has to develop in comes on the coverage side of things. Let's move on to Taron Johnson, 2018 fourth-round pick, number 121 overall. He's 25 years old. He turns 26 in July, and he's entering year one of his three-year $24 million deal. And let me just stop right there, because I really love that the Bills are willing to 
pay their slop corner like a starter because he is. It's such a valuable position, but not every team is willing to do this. If you are a slot-only corner, as a draft prospect, you're probably not getting picked in the first three rounds. And we don't really see a lot of teams investing starter money in the nickel position. And not only are the Bills doing that, but they also have a specific nickel coach. And to my knowledge, they're the only team in the NFL that has a designated nickel coach, and that's what the Bills have in Jim Salgado. And so I really just love how the Bills treat this position. They treat it the right way in my mind. So as for uh, Taron Johnson's statistical production in 2021, he played in 16, excuse me, he played in 15 games, 16 games, excuse me, with 15 starts, 76 tackles, seven pass breakups, one interception, a 79.5 passer rating against his coverage, and a 14.3 missed tackle rate. That's a little high. I'd like to see that come down. So for his 2021 review, I have written down that he delivered. And it was his best season in my mind. The narrative changed on Taron Johnson very, very quickly. And that goes back to 2020, where early in the season, he was benched. They benched him for Cam Lewis. Then Cam Lewis got hurt. Taron Johnson's back on the field. And he's really answered the call ever since. The Bills choose to funnel a lot of throws to his coverage. And on 81 targets this year, Taron Johnson allowed a reception percentage of 56.8. That's really good. One thing that I think is important to note with Taron Johnson is that special teams were taken off of him this year. In 2018, 2019, and 2020, Taron Johnson played anywhere from 20 to 37% of the team's special team snaps. This year, he only played four total special team snaps, and he played 85% of the snaps on defense. And I'm not one to be funny about using starters on special teams. I don't really resist that. But for a player like Taron Johnson, who's a slot player, who's closer to the box, who's closer to the action, that has to tackle a lot, I think reducing his exposures on special teams makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that was maybe a contributing factor to why he was consistently available for the Bills' defense. I think he just missed the Houston game. And Cam Lewis came in and played really, really well. So as for my 2022 outlook, it's simply come back and be the starting slot corner and continue earning that contract. The Bills paid him like he's one of the best slot guys in the NFL. And the Bills need him to deliver, especially in this division. I mean, look at these, these offenses that are forming in the AFC East with the Jets, with Mike LaFleur, and, and the Dolphins now with Mike McDaniel. Those are both Kyle Shanahan disciples, which means a lot of wide zone, which means a lot of yards after catching quick passes. And we know that the, the Patriots are going to want to run the football and hit short passes as well. Your slot corner in this type of a division with how these teams want to play offense, it's critical. And so Taron Johnson means a lot to this football team and um, even more when you consider the direction of the Bills' AFC East rivals.
All right, let's move on to Saran Neal. And this is a player we're not talking enough about as an expiring contract. So let's dig into him. 2018 fifth-round pick, number 154 overall. A couple of good picks there in 2018 when you look at Taron Johnson and Saran Neal as a couple of day three defensive backs and what they've turned into for this team. He's 27 years old. He turns 28 in August. His contract is expired. Completed his four-year $2.7 million deal. In 2021, he played in 17 games, did not start any. And, you know, he only played 14% of the snaps on defense, which is not nothing. It's still a fair amount for a depth player. But the value, as we know, with Saran Neal is as a four phase special teams guy. And he led the Bills in special teams tackles this year. I think Tyler Medikavich gets a lot of love for what he brings on special teams. Saran Neal's right there in terms of value and importance and skill. This is one of the best core special teams players in the NFL. So as for my 2021 review, I wrote down that I love what he brings. Elite special teams ability, versatility on defense to play inside and outside and even some safety. And so to me, he's a valuable piece of this roster as a depth player in special teams ace. So as for his 2022 outlook, I hope he's back. Especially if Taron or excuse me, especially if Taiwan Jones isn't back. I think he's got a critical role as the gunner on the punt team, the jammer on the punt return team. He is a core piece. And I'd like for the Bills to be able to sign him back. And Greg Thompson on our podcast on Tuesday said three years, five million, and you kind of guarantee those first two. I'd love to see that done for Saran Neal because I think he means a lot to this football team. Now, the Bills have several players on the practice squad that we're not going to like have a deep dive discussion on each of them, but these guys are worthwhile to mention, especially Cam Lewis, who's been around for a bit now, and he's interesting to me. He played really well against Houston when he filled in for Taron Johnson. We know he has the ability to play outside, and he could be the Ike Bakker of the Bills' cornerback room. And it's funny because I applied that label to Tyrell Dotson. So could this be the year where Cam Lewis is that guy that winds up making the roster at least while Trey White's on the pup list and, and plays? Wouldn't surprise me. He's been around. He knows the system. It, it feels like the team really likes Cam Lewis. And it would not surprise me to see him get an opportunity. The Bills also have a couple of uh, second-year corners that have come back on futures deals in Nick McLeod and Elijah Griffin. Both are interesting players to me. And then Tib Harris, uh, he's an interesting guy. I liked him at Virginia, but I don't think there's a high ceiling, but he's been in the league for a little bit. He's got some skill. And as a practice squad player, I think you can do a whole lot worse than Tim Harris. So when you think about the real bottom of this of this depth chart, the Bills have some intrigue there as well in Cam Lewis, Tim Harris, Elijah Griffin, and Nick McLeod. So as we tie a ribbon on this discussion regarding the Bills' cornerbacks, and we talk about what they have and what they need, let's start with what they have. 
They have an elite corner coming off an ACL tear in Trey White. They have a reasonable CB2 in Levi Wallace, who is looking to get paid. Have a quality depth player in Dane Jackson. They've got a top-tier slot corner in Taron Johnson that is a starter for this defense. They have an expiring contract in Saran Neal, who is a versatile depth player and a special teams ace. And then a group of young players that haven't proven much in Cam Lewis, Tim Harris, Elijah Griffin, and Nick McLeod. So the Bills, as far as how they have to attack this position group this offseason, they got to do something here. And maybe something is as simple as bringing back Saran Neal and Levi Wallace, and you basically run it back with what you had last year. But if you're not able to get that done, you're going to have to find a veteran starter in free agency and or invest an early pick on a cornerback, a top three-round pick. And Sean McDermott isn't afraid to play young guys at cornerback. That's, that's never been a concern of his when you look at his resume. I go back to the 2016 draft in Carolina. They let Josh Norman walk. And then they drafted James Bradbury at the end of the second round. They turned around and drafted Daryl Worley in the third round, started them both. The year after this team went to the Super Bowl, they were 15-1, and one and they went to the Super Bowl. They said, you know what? Adios, Josh Norman. James Bradbury, second-round pick. Daryl Worley, third-round pick. You're our starters. So I just wouldn't put it past. Sean McDermott to draft somebody in the second or third round, and this guy ends up starting for the team. And one other thing that I'll I'll say here is that I remain intrigued by adding some more athleticism to this group. And so while you're at this crossroads with Levi Wallace where he's a limited player, he's been a good player, but he's not a guy that's going to be able to turn and run with really most receivers. He's just a guy that has to stay leveraged use his length, take advantage of spacing. So as you're, you're dealing with a limited player that, that wants to get paid, that might get paid, and it could be just this natural opportunity to move on, how about getting a guy with some speed? How about getting a guy that you feel like has the foot fire to turn and run with speed receivers that are all over the NFL right now? I'd be interested in that. So if you don't bring back Levi Wallace, let's let's get some speed in in the room and see if that creates some some more scheme diversity for Leslie Frazier in this defense. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, we finish up the performance review series by talking about safeties, and we're also going to do special teams in that conversation. So we'll look at you know Tyler Bass and Matt Hawk and uh, Reed Ferguson in addition to the Bills' safeties Monday is going to be Bruce Nolan. Great conversation ahead with him on this Bills defense. And then I'm excited to move on to some different topics next week, including a show that I'm really excited about regarding some early draft narratives that I see for the Buffalo Bills that I do not like at all. And so I'm going to break all of those down for you next week. A lot of great stuff is coming. Make sure that you are subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed. Hit that like button, leave a comment. Let's keep the conversation going on YouTube as well. All right, folks, that's it for today. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.